What a beautiful gathering and what an amazing season of life on our way to Easter. And I love that we're about to celebrate the greatest day in the history of humanity, but we're living in the power of that day right now. So whether at Cumberland or here at the 515 location, we have seen the reality of God's power to bring life from death. And we've seen that with our very eyes today. So we just celebrate again, all of you families, friends that are here, and all these people who have allowed us to share in their baptism story today. What a privilege. And what a great backdrop. If you are a communicator in church, you always want to preach after the baptisms on Baptism Sunday, because it's basically just the wrap up of the message that we've already seen with our own eyes, which is God redeems all stories. God has the power to redeem all stories. And this is the Easter story. In fact, we're leading up in just a few days to Good Friday, but we call Good Friday Good Friday because of the perspective of history and time. If you were on Good Friday, there's nothing about that day that you would characterize as good. If you were in the flow and in the mix of the night that Jesus was arrested, leading up to the day that he was put on trial, the moment when he was hung up on a cross to die, the moment when the sky turned dark and Jesus did in fact die, there's nothing about that that would look like it could possibly ever be redeemed. And it would be hard for us to imagine there'll be a day in time where people will be looking at this day and saying, this is good Friday. And I think certainly of all the people who would have felt that way on that day would have been Peter. I mean, think about Peter. He was the bold and the brave one. He was the one who said, when all these other disciples flake out, I'll be the one that you can count on. When everybody else bails, I will be there, Jesus, right by your side. But when the arrest happened, when Jesus is hurried off to the house of Caiaphas, the high priest, a moment happens in history. And in that moment, Peter comes close enough to Caiaphas' house to see what's unfolding. But as he's gathered, the scripture says, around a fire in a courtyard, he then is identified by a young servant girl as possibly being one of the followers of Jesus. And she asks, are you not one of those men from Galilee who are with him? And he says, absolutely not. Now, I can get that one, and you can too, because we've all done that in our lives. A, and B, maybe it was a ploy for him to say, I'm not going to give away my identity right away, because I'm going to see how things are going to unfold, and then I'm going to mount a surprise rescue for Jesus. So I'm just coming in under the radar, but then quickly we learned that wasn't the plan. A second time he's asked, I recognize your dialect, your one of the ones from Galilee. I know who you are. You're one of the followers. And he says, no, I'm, I'm absolutely not one of those guys. And then a third time, he's asked, aren't you with him? And he says, I never knew this guy. And the scripture says, in that moment, eye contact was made between Jesus and Peter. And Peter knew what Jesus had said was true, that he wasn't man enough to stand up in the moment. He had folded just like the rest. Can you imagine the disappointment, the sense of failure, the immediate sense of loss? It was death 
in every sense of the word. It was death of the dream, the vision that I'm going to be with him and he's going to be with me and we're going to mount a brand new kingdom plan, a new kingdom come. It was a death of his own promise to Jesus that he was always going to be there. But what the story tells us today is, is that God's bigger than our failure. He's bigger than our disappointment. He's bigger than the moment we let ourselves down and let him down. And he's bigger than the moment where life lets us down. And in the story of Easter, in the economy of Good Friday, I've got a message for us all today. And it is this, there is good news. It doesn't matter where you're from. It doesn't matter what you've been through. It doesn't matter what has happened in your story. There is good news. And even if you are like Peter today and you have let yourself down and everyone around you down, there is still good news for you. And this is the message of our gospel. It is the message of Jesus. And it is the message of our house today. I don't know what the bad chapters are in your story, but I know that there is good news. And I love preaching it with the backdrop of Easter because there's not a story in the house today that Jesus cannot turn around for his glory and for your good. Not a story in this house today that Jesus cannot turn around for your good and for his glory. It doesn't matter if it's the death of a relationship, and I'm sure there are a lot of people in this gathering who are in that moment where you were banking on somebody, a circumstance, maybe you were engaged, everything sort of went sideways, the person walked away from you, and that is a big bad news story. But even in that, God can bring good news. Maybe it was broken trust, or maybe you're here today and it went all the way to divorce, and not just to divorce. So you're not just sitting here going, I've got that disappointment in my story, but the person that you were with is now with somebody else. Maybe they're remarried and living in another city with another family. There isn't the possibility, as far as anyone can see, that that relationship could be restored to what it was. But God is saying, there is still good news for you. I'm big enough to take any story and to bring good into your world and to bring glory to God out of it. Maybe it's the death of a career path. Anybody experiencing that today? There was a friend in our gathering earlier who was on the track to be a professional athlete, but circumstances, injury, something that you can't factor into the mix, derailed that story. And so where do you go when your career path dies, when your dreams die, when what you thought was going to be your outcome, what you'd worked so hard for dies? I was uh, corresponding this week with a person from my past who is now in prison and reached out to me who's serving a life sentence for murder in the Georgia prison system. Just ironically, through circumstance, found a resource that led him to me to write and to reach out to me. And as we were corresponding, I'm, I'm reaching back to him. And what is the message? The message is no matter what the story, no matter what the circumstance, no matter where death has come, God is big enough to change the story and to change the circumstance, to bring good into it and to bring his glory in it. And if that sounds like hype and it sounds like preacher talk, then look at the backdrop of Easter. Because we today call the worst day in history the best day in our story. And what was not good on that day is now the very best news of all. God has the power to turn any story and to turn every story around for your good 
and his glory. I don't know what kind of death you're walking through. It could be real death, physical death. Maybe you have come through death in these days. God can still change that story. Maybe it's a death of a path in life. Somebody ended up in treatment or in rehab, or maybe you're in the middle of treatment or in the middle of rehab. Maybe you need to go to treatment. You're on the way to rehab. God can change the story, and he can change it for your good, and he can change it for his glory. Maybe it was the hearing, the ruling, the arbitration, a financial collapse, a moral failure. Maybe it was insanity, and you thought you were losing your mind, or you still think you are, some kind of betrayal or a diagnosis, something that you did or something that was done to you. But here's the message on the way to Easter. There is good news. Our text is coming out of Luke chapter 8, verse 1, and it's a throwaway verse, if you will. You're like, Louis, there are no throwaway verses in Scripture. I know, in God's economy, there are no throwaway verses in Scripture, but in our economy, especially in the Gospels, we like to zero right in on the big moments. Jesus is now walking on water, or Lazarus is being raised from the dead. 5,000 are being fed, but a lot of times it's the little connector passages that help us see the real heart and the real spirit of the ministry and the person of Jesus. And one of those is in Luke 8, verse 1. Same text we were in last week. I I dare say before last week, too many people had underlined, highlighted, circled, or made any little marks, stars, or checks by Luke 8, verse 1. It feels like a throwaway text, but it is absolutely everything but that. This is what it says. And after this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. And the 12 were with him. See, when, when, when you say that verse, there's not too many people going, man, that's what I've been looking for. I've been praying God would speak to me. I've been hoping for something. I need something I can count on. And man, when you read that verse right there, after this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. That seems like that's ancillary to maybe what's going to happen later, which is we're going to get the parable of the sower. And that's why at the top of the chapter, that's what's highlighted in the text in between chapter 7 and chapter But I don't want you to miss verse 1 of Luke 8 today because it opens with two powerful words and they are the words after this. Can we we all just get around those and say those words together? I know you love to do that. I know I love to do it when other people are preaching. Can we just say those two words together? After this. This. Now, can we all lean in, like even the men um, and, and, and the people who say, I'm never going to say whatever the preacher wants you to say? Can we all just try it together? These are the two words. Say it with me. After this. See, the reason why these words are so paramount for us today is because what God is saying is it doesn't matter what came before. If Jesus is in the story, there is still the possibility that something God-sized can happen in the future. He wants you to know that if it's divorce or death or a diagnosis or despair or whatever it was, there can be an after this in your story. After this. After what? Well, we go back to chapter 7. We talked about a few of the stories there last week, but today we look at the one in the middle in verse 11. After what 
Jesus went from town to village proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. After this happened in verse 11, soon afterwards, so there's your afterwards again, I would circle that, underscore that, highlight that if I were doing my own Bible study right now, because again we see there's always an afterword in the story of God. So wherever you are today, this is what God's trying to say, wherever you are, do not put the period there. Wherever you are, do not let the enemy take a snapshot, frame it, and put it on the wall of your house and say, that is your story, that is your destiny, this is the way it's always going to be. Jesus said, there's a new king and a new kingdom, and there's afterwards in the new kingdom with the new king. There is an after this in the new kingdom with the new king. It says in verse 11, soon afterward, Jesus went to a town called Nain. Now that's a real little place in Israel. And his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother. And she was a widow. And a large crowd from the town was with her. Now, do you understand? I know we've talked about this text before, but do you understand what Jesus is setting up for us here? You have a woman who's a widow. That means her husband's gone. And in this culture, she cannot have a standing in the community. She can't own a business. She, she can't make a living for herself. She doesn't have a voice, if you will. So her hope is in the fact that she had a son. And he could have a standing in the community. He could own a business. He could, in fact, rise up and have a voice in the community. And therefore, he could cover her and protect her and make a way for her and a life for her. But not only did she lose her husband in that opportunity, now she's lost her son. It's two strikes. You're out in this culture. And we know she's gripped with the reality of what the future probably holds, but for right now, she's overwhelmed with the grief of the loss of a son. And Jesus and his party are coming in the gate while her and her funeral party are coming out of the gate. It's kind of a reality picture of two kingdoms colliding at the town gate of Nain. And something that no one could see happening happens in the story. Verse 13, when the Lord saw her. Now, I liked you guys were really good on the saying things back, so I want to try it just one more time. Could you just say that with me? When the Lord, what? Saw her. So he saw her. See, the enemy says when calamity comes, when collapse comes, when death comes, when divorce comes, when either the world collapses in on us or we blow our lives up from within, God sees you. The enemy says, hey, You're off the radar. You're out of the story. You're out of the equation. And God is saying, oh, no, you're not. I see you. I see you in your pain. I see you in the brokenness. I see you in the calamity. And not only do I see you, look at what it says. He saw her and his heart went out to her. I would offer today that whoever you are, however you got here, Whatever your story, your history, your background, your baggage, your bruises, God's heart is going out to you today. And I'll tell you why. Because our king and our kingdom is a good news king and a good news kingdom. 
The enemy is not going to rewrite our story, and culture's not going to re- rewrite our story. Your coworker is not going to hijack our story. Our God is not a bad news God, and we do not have a bad news story. In fact, our God is the best news God of all, and we have a great news story to share with the world. You're like, well, that sounds kind of bold and maybe even a little bit prideful with all the great gods there are in the world. But think about this. Our corner of faith is this, that where all of the gods of the world may offer a way, there is only one God in the world who says, contrary to the message that you got to do X, Y, and Z to maybe get into heaven, we're celebrating today a God who said, I'm going to send my own son out of heaven right on to planet earth in the person of Jesus Christ. I'm not going to tell you how hard you got to try to get to heaven. I'm going to do the unthinkable and I'm going to send heaven right down to where you are. This is why, this is why we say we have a good news king and a good news kingdom. And that's why when God looks at you today, even in your foolishness and your sinfulness and your choices that you've made and the circumstance that you find yourself in, in the middle of the divorce or the diagnosis, your choice or somebody else's choice is, A, he sees you, and B, his heart goes out to you. The enemy's telling you his heart isn't going out to you, his fist is going out to you. His heart's not going out to you, he couldn't care less about you. His heart isn't going out to you, don't even think about it with him. But as Jesus is coming into the town and the funeral procession is coming out of the town, he sees this broken woman and his heart goes out to her and just almost instantly he says to her, don't cry. Now that sounds to me like a really silly thing to say unless you can back that up somehow. If that's simply, I just want you to know that you're in our thoughts and prayers. Boy, we can say that easily, can't we? I mean, that's a good little text, isn't it? We just wanted to let you know you're in our thoughts and prayers. Well, being in your thoughts is nice. Being in your prayers, now, that could have the potential to change everything. So I want to always text back, it's nice to be in your thoughts. Can I double make sure that I'm in your prayers? And Jesus is just like, don't cry, don't cry, don't cry. Why not? I'm a widow, I've already done this one time, I've already lost a husband, now I've lost a son. The implication in this story is that potentially the scholars will say that this woman was a poor widow woman headed to a simple burial for her son. Not even probably enough money to buy a horizontal plot She could only afford a vertical plot. You're like, what does that mean? That means a hole in the ground where her son would be placed in feet first and then dirt put on the top. A simple, poor ending to life. And to all of that, to all of that. So I I just keep qualifying today because I know there's somebody up against it and you're like, you have no idea what you're talking about. You have no idea what I've been through. You don't know my story and I don't know your story, but I do know that Jesus told a widow woman who had just lost her only son, don't cry. And that means there must be power and good news in this king, in this kingdom. And that power and that good news must be in this place right now for even you. What happened next is 
mind-boggling, especially in the culture of the day. A religious leader, a rabbi, a teacher in this day and age would never go near a dead person. It would defile them. But Jesus goes right up, it says in verse 14, and he touched the coffin, and those carrying it stood still. They stood still out of utter amazement, and what in the world is going on here right now? Who is this joker? Where did he come from? If he is some kind of a religious leader, why is he touching the coffin? This doesn't add up. So A, he stops the funeral procession in its tracks. Let's just remember that. We're going to come back to it. And then he spoke, young man, I say to you, get up. Hello? Maybe we've all been at church too much. Maybe we've just all seen too many uh, Jesus movies. And maybe you say, well, I figured the end of this story, probably the guy's going to get up. Isn't that awesome? Uh, we're talking about a resurrection is about to happen. A funeral, as we like to say, is being interrupted. And the dead man sat up. And the word man, just to clarify there, doesn't necessarily mean he's older, 30-year-old, 40-year-old, 50-year-old guy. He could be a very young person. The dead person there sat up and began to talk. Now that's where I want really bad there to be one of those numbers after the word talk and then you look down at the bottom and it just gives you some amplification and this is what he said when he began to talk. <laughs> Don't you want to know? Could have just sat up and just picked up right where he left off. Anyway, so what I was saying was that I, I really do love to fish when we cook it this way. I mean, maybe he choked on a fishbone and died. We don't, we don't know all the circumstances. Or maybe he sat up and said, what's going on? And why am I on a stretcher? And why is everybody sad? And why is my mother crying? And who are you? But he began to talk. And then the next line says, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. I want you to remember that phrase. He gave him back. Because God is not a God who wants to come into your life and take away from you, God wants to come into your life and give back to you what you and the enemy and circumstances have already taken away from your life. This is our God, and this is why it's good news. Now, I love this, and I want to just take a quick snapshot, and then we're going to move on. I love the fact that in this picture, now imagine, you're thinking coffin, but it was probably more like a stretcher, a briar, a simple funeral. A body wrapped, exposed on the top of this stretcher, being carried by this procession. Jesus speaks to the young man. He sits up and he begins to talk. And then Jesus, because he's probably wrapped in cloths and can't just like free and extricate himself, Jesus reaches and grabs the young man. Imagine what it would take physically to do that. I say this because I think we have little milk toast Casper Jesus over here in our mind's imagination a lot of time. And this was a dude who grew up working in a carpenter shop with a plane in his hand, working on lumber every single day, who had a lot of calluses and some jacked up biceps. And I just see the picture when he puts his hands under this young man and lifts him up now to deliver him to his mother. I just see his biceps and his 
forearms just bulging in the veins in them and in his neck and his eyes are a little kind of bulging a little bit because I don't think it was David Copperfield and like let me just give you back to your mom now here we go all right look at that boys Woo! Woo! you know I think it was literally the strength of a man isn't that awesome Jesus is not a cutout figure for a flannel board. He is fierce and mighty in power. He was physically buff. And he's spiritually greater. And he hands this living young man to his mother and says, I told you, don't cry. That set off a phenomenal chain of events to which I say, duh, no kidding. They were all filled with awe, hello, and praised God. A great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people. The story of the miracles of Jesus isn't always that we are gonna get the replication of every miracle of Jesus. So go to Lake Lanier, claim it by faith, call out with everything you've got within you, and then get out of the wakeboard boat and decide you're gonna walk on water. And you may, but you may not. When your loved one passes away and you're on the way to the cemetery, I wouldn't d discourage you from asking God for a cemetery miracle. God, you could even open that coffin right now and raise them up to everlasting life. But the story of the Gospels isn't that Jesus wants to replicate every miracle of the Gospel every time in your life. The story of the Gospel is that God wants to show up in your bad news story with good news into your story that awakens people around you to understand that God is on the scene and that God is in the mix. And that's why he raised this young man up. On another day, this young man went to his funeral, but not on this day. On another day, they made it all the way to the cemetery, but not on this day. And the reason wasn't just so there could be a miracle. The reason was so that there could be a message, and the message was God has come to help his people. And this news about Jesus, not the man, not the woman, not the crowd, not the other crowd, the news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. In other words, what Jesus was saying is, there's not going to be a funeral today. Everybody in here is going to have one, but not today. No funerals in name today. Because the kingdom of God has collided with the kingdom of this world at the gates of Nain. And Jesus has displayed his divine authority and power and the authority of his kingdom. And good news has come to the whole countryside and I say to you today no matter what kind of death you're facing there is good news the good news is this number one that the enemy may steal but God can restore one of our key texts coming through our early days of passion especially coming to one day is found in a little minor prophet of Joel in chapter 2 
we clung to this as we gathered in that solemn assembly. And Joel's message is pertinent for us even today. Now, we call Joel a minor prophet because it's a shorter uh, book of prophecy, not because it's an insignificant book of prophecy. It's so short, in fact, that I'm having trouble finding it in the midst of all the minor prophets. But in Joel 2, the nation of Israel, the people of God, were in a real predicament. The locusts had come, literally, and eaten all their crops. And then once they came, another swarm came through and ate whatever residue was left. And after they came through, another swarm came along and they just clear cut everything down to where there was nothing left. If any, anybody know what I'm talking about? One thing comes through, some wipeout, but then something else comes through and more wipeout. And then something else comes through and then there's no sign left of any life, future, or hope. And that's where Israel was spiritually and literally as a people. But then God intervenes because he's a God of good news. And this is what he says in verse 12. Even now, see that's after this, after a word. Even now, even in this predicament, declares the Lord. Return to me with all your heart. With fasting and weeping and mourning. Rend your heart and not your garments. In other words, I don't just want the external, hey, we tore our clothes, God. We're really, really sorry. We put ashes on our head and dust on our head. And here we sit in our outward expression of repentance. He said, no, I don't want outward. I want inward. I want your heart to be broken open. Rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love, and he relents from sending calamity. Who knows? He may even turn and have pity and leave behind a blessing, grain offerings and drink offerings for the Lord your God. Now that's tongue-in-cheek from... Joel, because Joel knows Jesus is coming. He's a prophet of salvation. He's a prophet of a Messiah. He knows God is going to come into the story. He is going to relent from his wrath and anger. He is going to take it all to the cross and and bury it in a tomb. And he is going to be able to give a blessing and give something to us that we could never see coming because of the work of Jesus. And so he says it this way a few verses later, and I love it. If you feel like you've been clean cut, By circumstances or your own choices, God has got good news for you today. Verse 25, I will repay you for the years the locusts have eaten. This is God today. You've been 10 years down this road, I'll repay you. You've lost everything, I'll repay you. It's a wipeout with your family, your relationship with your parents, your relationship with your friend, your relationship with your kids, your finances, a wipeout, your moral stock, a wipeout, your standing in your business, a wipeout. It all is a wipeout and a lot of loss. But here's what I'm telling you today. God is saying through the prophet, I will repay you for the years that the locusts have eaten. And then he amplifies the great locust and the young locust, the other locusts and the locust swarm. So if you got like a big time story of years of wipeout loss, God is saying to you today, there is good news. I am the God who can repay you for what the locusts have eaten. And again, that sounds like a nice little feel good story if it weren't just a few days from now that we celebrate Easter and we celebrate the reality of God's ability 
to turn the worst into the very best. The enemy may steal, but God can restore. The enemy has a plan, Jesus said, to steal, kill, and destroy. It is to do the same thing to you and me that he was about to do to that boy on that day, which is to take us outside of town, dig a hole, dump the stretcher this way, slide us in it, put dirt on the top, and say, that's the end of them. And I'm telling you, the enemy's plan is to bury you, but God's plan is to interrupt your funeral today. Today. The second reason why there's good news is because you may have to deal with the consequences, but you don't have to carry the guilt and the shame. This Luke 7 passage, the last story that we talked about last week, is about the sinful woman. The implications of that you can figure out on your own without a lot of explanation. But yet she met Jesus. She found grace and forgiveness. She came into this dinner party he was at, poured her expensive perfume on his feet, washed his feet with her hair and her tears. And yes, there were consequences, and you will have consequences. But you don't have to carry the guilt and the shame one more day. Jesus will step into the story and he will say, I will walk with you through the consequences. But listen, lift your head up to the salvation and the redemption that is in Jesus. And as we walk through the consequences, you don't have to carry the guilt and you don't have to carry the shame. See, it's not just what you did that's putting a lot of us in a hole. It's the shame that's the dirt that the enemy is putting on top of you every single day. It's the condemnation that's burying you and causing you to miss out on God's resurrection story for you. The third reason why it's good news is because our struggle and our failure does not have to be fatal. Whatever it is in your life, it's happened to you. Can I just give a bold announcement today? You're still here. You're still standing. We say, I'm not standing really. Okay, you're still breathing. God woke you up today. So whatever it was, however hard it was, however difficult it was, however foolish it was, it wasn't fatal. And it doesn't have to be fatal. This is Easter and our story is resurrection. Don't spend too much on a headstone because our story is a resurrection story. The fourth reason why it's good news is because our defeats, whatever they are, don't have to be defining. That's the print on the wall. The enemy says, that's it. That's the story. That's going to be the message. That's who you are and what you're always going to be. But listen, let's go back to that fire in the courtyard of Caiaphas's house. What is the defining story of Peter? The defining story of Peter is, is that in the power of the Spirit of God, he took the gospel to the Gentiles. In the power of the Spirit of God, he took the gospel to the nations. And in the power of the Spirit of God, he preached the word of God, the good news, the euangelion of God to the world. And then he gave his life. In fact, he did give his life as a martyr for the faith and the gospel. And there are branches with his name on them and fruit that is the result of his faithfulness everywhere you look in the kingdom of God. He has chapters and books in the scripture that are his words of encouragement to you and to me. The defining moment of Peter's life was John 21, days after 
the disappointment and the failure where, again, now the followers are back in Galilee. They're out fishing on the lake. Jesus shows up. He meets them there, but it's not just a group meeting. It's a Peter restoration. And he says now as they're on the shore together to Peter, do you love me? One time, and Peter says, I do, then feed my sheep. I'll ask you again. I think it's three times we need to work through. If my memory serves me correctly, Peter, do you love me? And he said, I do love you, then feed my sheep. And then a third time he asked him, but do you really, really love me? And he said, I love you, Jesus. You know I do. Then feed my lambs. The defining moment of Peter's life is not his failure in the courtyard. It's his restoration in the grace of Jesus on the beach by the Sea of Galilee. And that's going to be your story. It's going to be my story as well. The last reason why it's good news is because your pain can become your platform. You're like, well, I don't want a platform. <laughs> no, you do want a platform. Life is short and eternity is long. Life is momentary and eternity lasts forever. And what you're going to want in eternity is the joy of knowing that the brief life that you lived on earth reached as many people with as much influence for Jesus as possible. Can I just redefine it one more time? In eternity, if you're there in Christ, if you're not there in Christ, it's a moot point. If you're there in Christ by faith in Him, in eternity, you're not going to want to have said about you, she had such an easy road. Because look around. Who do you know with a super easy road who has a platform of influence to the people of the world? The voice goes to the hurting who trust Christ in it all and say through it all, God has proved to be more than enough for me. And the voice rings out and it echoes loud. Billy Graham's funeral, interestingly, every living leader you can think of all there, all the people buttoned down, suits on, everybody looks great, but it was his daughter. When she shared the story of her second relationship collapse and when she drove up the mountain to see her daddy who had told her don't marry him this is not God's plan this is going to end bad but she did it anyway and now she's driving up the mountain in North Carolina so we've had leaders pomp circumstance but now it's a daughter and she says and when I got to the gate and I've been to that gate I've told you about it at the bottom of that driveway of my dad's my daddy had come down to the gate to meet me and when the gate opened and I got out of the car daddy as she called Billy Graham came and put his arms around me and he told me how much he loved me and how glad he was that I'd come home.
And I would say from my seat, it was the most powerful moment in the funeral of Billy Graham. Not how many people he preached to, not how many multitudes made decisions, not all of the impact and the global reach of the gospel. It was a picture of the good news couched in reality that everyone in the world can identify with, even Billy Graham's daughter. But God was in the story. And he's in your story. And he's in our story. And whatever pain is in our lives can be the platform by which we are allowed to steward greater influence for the kingdom of God. And we're closing, but, you know, you throw away the end of verse 1 and 2. The 12 were with him. That's the disciples. But then verse 2, a totally irrelevant verse. And also, some women, and don't get all riled up, ladies. Because even the fact that you're in the story means that Jesus was a cultural revolutionary for all people. Some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Hello? Mary called Magdalene. We've heard of her, Mary Magdalene. She's here. She's at the cross. She's at the tomb on Easter morning. She is woven into the story, people. Well, who is she? She must have been like the head Sunday school teacher, the head of the Women's Missionary Union. She must have been the one leading all the women's Bible studies around town. Yeah, Mary Magdalene. Here's her description that from whom seven demons had come out. Well, why was she following Jesus? Hello? (laughs) Pretty simple, right? Joanna, another one who had been healed of evil spirits and diseases, who was the wife of Cusa, the manager of Herod's household, and Susanna, or Susanna, and many others. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. In other words, hello, these ladies, this is great, were bankrolling the ministry of the good news of Jesus and his kingdom going from city and town and village to city and town and village proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. It was being paid for by these ladies. So after Jesus did the wonderful work, Jesus taught the amazing talk, Jesus did the miracle, and now we're cleaning up, clearing up, setting up, breaking down, moving to the next place, getting ready, taking care of all the details out of our own purses and our own wherewithal. That's where the conversations are happening, right? Who is this guy? Where did he come from? How did he just do that? What's the story? Is it real? Is he some kind of charlatan or some kind of a magician or who is this guy and what's it all about? The story wasn't just what was coming off the platform. The story was what was coming from the periphery and Mary would speak up and say, listen, I'll tell you what this is all about. I had seven demons inside of me. I was really, really messed up and I couldn't hold a job. I couldn't stay in a relationship. I couldn't do anything and then this guy came and in the authority of his kingdom, he spoke to me. He took authority over the spirits in me. He delivered me from their hold and power and he put me in my right mind and he gave me a new hope and a new heart and a new relationship with God. That's my story. And then Susanna would say, yeah, let me tell you what happened to me. And then Joanna would say, I got the same story. Their pain became their platform. had this text and message and all this was ready, but I didn't know that 
Jay and Catherine Wolf are going to show up at the 915 gathering, come around folks here at 515. And it was just God's kindness. Lou, you're going to stand out there on that limb of faith today, and you're going to say to people, your pain can be a platform. I'm just going to put a little cheering section down there for you today. So right over there at the 915 was Jay and Catherine Wolf. And when I said your pain can become your platform, she went, hoo-hoo. That's her amen. Ten-year celebration a few days ago of the brainstem stroke that left her close to being an, a vegetable for the rest of her life. Years of hardship, surgery, trials, tribulation, difficulties, still can't eat right, still can't swallow normal, still can't walk hardly on her own, trying to raise two kids, 10 years of hardship. Why didn't God just take her to heaven? Why didn't God just let her go? Why didn't God just let her die that night in Los Angeles? Why did God make her become disfigured and paralyzed and disabled in some way and put her and her husband through 10 years of hardship and suffering on this earth. Where's the good news in that? Well, it was in the woohoo. Because the woohoo was a stake and a flag in the ground that said we had little influence and hardly any stewardship and very small, teeny, tiny, our 18 friends platform before. And now we have a New York Times bestseller called Hope Heals, a camp for other families going through what we're going through, and a microphone, and the world has to listen to us because look at me. I'm paralyzed on one side of my face, and I talk funny, and I can't swallow good, and you can't stop listening to me when I tell you that God is good, and He is able, and He is powerful, and He is mighty, and He can save, and heal, and work, and redeem, and restore, and He can give back what the locusts have eaten, and I'm telling you, and I asked, they, I got a second hoo-hoo on this from them today. In heaven, they are going to look back on that night and that day and that journey and say, we call that good. We call that good. And there's going to be somebody else that said, I just prayed my whole life that God wouldn't let anything bad happen to me. And you're going to be standing in heaven with little influence and with little stewardship, with a tiny platform and with hardly anything to celebrate. So that doesn't mean that we all need to pray today, Lord, I need something hard to happen in my life. That's going to happen anyway. Louis, I don't think we should encourage people to pray for difficulty and hardship. Well, that's a matter of theological debate. It's hard to get around when you read the whole scripture, but you don't need to pray for that. It's already on the way, and it's probably already in your story. I wonder if you can see today that the pain in your story is the platform God is giving you to have more influence and stewardship with the people of this world. There's good news, even in the pain, that a platform can come from that pain that can change the world. Eugene Peterson said it this way. He said, the reason the Holy Spirit has given rise and birth to the church is so that we can be a colony of heaven in a country of death. That every day where a funeral procession is meeting the kingdom of God, there can be a message there. There is good news in whatever the death is. God is greater still. But the key component in the story is Joel 2. Will you turn to me? 
Will you return to the Lord? And will you let him break your heart? And will you ask for his forgiveness? Will you surrender either your decisions or those that have been made towards you? And say, God, I want you to work in my life. I want you to resurrect your dreams in my life. I want you to birth hope again in my life. I want to turn my story around today and I want to ask you in that repentance, could you give back what the locusts have eaten? Why? So they have a big crop? No, he said so that then you have a crop and from your crop you can give an offering of praise to God.